You're listening to Alcoholics Alive, where recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous share their experience on how they live AA as a way of life. None of our participants get paid or speak for AA. Here are your hosts, Shank and Wayne. Shank, I got some meeting shrapnel for you. All right, let's hear it. I was at a meeting the other night, and I heard somebody say that um, that they had to practice push. <laughs> I was like, push. And I was like, oh, I've never heard. I was thinking I've never heard of this one here before. And then they basically said that you got to pray until something happens. Ah, I think I have heard that that one before, actually. That's push. Yeah. So I probably won't be using that. But I, I, it's a good term, pray until something happens. But just why can't you just say, hey, pray until something happens? Because that's not catchy and cool. It's not, is it? No. Well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll reconsider it. Welcome everyone out there that's listening. This is actually our last episode with a guest. So we've, uh, of season four of season four. Yeah. 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 So stay tuned. We're, we got, we're working on season fives. Um, but we're, um, we're excited for our guest today. We've known, known her for, uh, for a long time. Pam, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah, good. We're Wayne. glad that you joined us today. What's that? I said hello, Wayne and Shank. <laughs> Shank and Wayne. It sounds better that way. Shank and Wayne. I like it. <laughs> now I prefer Wayne and Shank. Shank thinks she's in charge when because her name's first. But I like that better. Yeah. Uh, we'll leave it that way. Probably more the truth <laughs> anyway. Pam, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, uh, my sobriety date is July 1st, 2000. I've been sober a long time. It amazes me how powerful this program is. Um, and I'm originally from Pennsylvania. And I do have a nickname. So I will share it. Eminem. 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 <laughs> I got that right. in the bars. <laughs> we love right. that. Well, sh- uh, we're going to refer to you as Eminem from here on okay. out. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I came from a family of alcoholics. And my grandfather owned a bar before I could even talk. And I became a bartender, of course. I absolutely loved it. I loved drinking. Uh, didn't know it was causing me any kind of problems. I was having a grand old time. <laughs> and even though it destroyed a marriage, I was still having fun. Um, almost took my kids away from me. And it was my parents, and especially like my family's big alcoholics, but they drink a lot. And they're the ones who noticed I had a problem. So that's pretty bad because they were bad. <laughs> you know you're in bad shape when you got uh-huh. other alcoholics telling you to stop. Yep. And they tried to get me help. They tried to get me into Alcoholics Anonymous. My you know, mom figured out about it. And, made, and she doesn't drink. And my aunt doesn't drink. And they made me go to AA. And I did for four meetings. And I tell you, I did not like it. I was threatened by one day at a time. I couldn't do it. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I laughed and I thought, well, I could do this on my own. And for two years later, oh my God, it took me two years till I was able to come back. And in those two years, my goodness, um, I almost died. Um, almost lost my children. They had no respect for me. They didn't even want to be around me. I'm hmm. talking five, seven years old, little kids. Uh, like I said, I went through a marriage. I went through relationships, couldn't even handle a relationship because I didn't know how to have one. I still had that. My first drink was 14 years old. So my brain was like a 14, 15 year old, even hmm. though I was in my 30s. And I heard that in Alcoholics Anonymous that you don't really grow up, you know, and until you become sober, you may physically grow up, but mentally and spiritually, I didn't, you know, until I was an Alcoholics Anonymous. And I ended up, even my last drink, I try to think about that. Uh, it wasn't, I had a lot of bad bottoms, but they weren't really a bottom. You know, like that terrible thing that'll happen to you and it's so terrible i'll hide out from the bar i'm so ashamed i don't want anybody to know or i'll swear to god i'm never going to drink again but there's no power in that and i didn't know that so i would drink again and my last drunk wasn't even really bad but one day i woke up and i looked in the mirror and i had no idea who i was when i looked in that mirror i thought who are you my kids don't want to be around me. I can't have a relationship. I had no friends because I was a big mouth. You know, you tell me a secret. The minute you weren't even out of the room, I was telling somebody else. Because <laughs> I thought it made me, I thought it made me feel cool to know so much. You know, like being a bartender, I know everything. Everybody tells me everything, but you know, hope they want me to keep it to myself, but I don't know how. I can't wait to tell other people. So I didn't have a lot of friends. And I didn't have a relationship with God. And I just looked in the mirror and I was like, oh, my gosh, who is this woman? And I ended up in Alcoholics Anonymous. Wow. Ended up back, back in here, huh? <laughs> yep. Well, Eminem, we're glad that you got sober. And we're certainly <laughs> glad you, you, you're with us today. Shank, Shank, what's our topic? All right, so we have arrived at episode 12. So we are on the last um, promise and the nine step promises. So our topic today is we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Hmm. I think it kind of references that somewhere else in the book. On page 25. What does that say? I'm not a big book scholar yet. He, he commenced <laughs> to accomplish those things for us, which we cannot do by our, do for ourselves. What was that? Mm -hmm. Page 25 here. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us, which we could never do by ourselves. Similar. Very similar. Yeah. Eminem, what do you, um, what you experience with that particular promise? Oh, I love that promise. Um, I didn't know how to be. I didn't know how to be a friend. I didn't know how to be a girlfriend. I didn't know how to be a mother. At the end of my drinking, I was none of those things. And that promise, and like I said, it came to for the nine step promises. It took me getting a sponsor, 
practicing the steps before, little by little changing my life, and then becoming that mother, becoming that daughter, becoming a girlfriend, becoming a good neighbor, like they stopped calling the cops on me, you know, and, <laughs> and you know, becoming a good employee. Uh, I never held a job. Oh, my gosh. I never had paid vacation because I never stayed at a job for a year. You know, you have to work a year to get paid vacation. I never had that. And in Alcoholics Anonymous, by the time I started to become that new woman, I'm at a job today. And this is a miracle. 19 years. Wow. And that's God. And that was through these promises. That's not me. I could never imagine that. Amazing. Hmm. I remember when um, I had gotten a job a week before I got sober. <clears throat> and uh, I actually showed up to the job drunk. And they let me sweep the floor and wouldn't let me do anything. They didn't tell me to leave. The guy knew I was drunk. Anyway, I worked there a week. And I just abandoned the job. I went in, I, I'd gone into detox and treatment like a week after working there and just abandoned the job. And a little over a month later, I was going to try to get the job back. And people in AA told me that I needed to tell them the truth. I was like, that's crazy. I'm just going to tell them I was in the hospital for cancer or, God. you know, I had to go take care of family in another state. And they're like, no, just tell the truth. And I, I mean, I just did not think that was uh, the answer, but I told the guy the truth and he let me come back to work. Now, I, don't, I wouldn't say like, I mean, I don't know if, if God did that, but I, I started uh, to see, you know, firsthand that when I actually got honest and told people the truth and stopped working angles, that I got, I got different results. And, you know, so that was kind of my first like evidence of, of seeing, you know, the, the power of the program and the power of God work in my life just by telling the truth. I also kind of realized that about 90 days sober, I had gone through a bunch of stuff with a, a family member dying and uh, a lot of just turmoil in the family and, I was able to get through that and never even really thought about drinking. My, 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 my first thoughts were more about how to help the family. And I'm a guy that they didn't even really want me around prior to that. They probably didn't want me around then, but I didn't have much of a choice because <laughs> I, I stayed there. Um, so that early on, that's kind of how that some of those, those promises came, came alive in my life. Um, Shank. Yeah, uh, yeah. You ever realize that God was doing for you what you couldn't do for yourself? Um, I have, but for me, I think it's always been more kind of like in the rearview mirror where I can look back on things and be right. like, oh, that was, you know, I was really trying to exert my will in a certain way. It wasn't going my way. And, you know, I just moved forward, did whatever I could that day. And eventually I look back and say, oh, that was probably God doing for me what I could not do for myself. Um, I hear a lot of people kind of use this sentence, this term, this, 
whatever you want to say. Um, and the context that I hear it the most is probably at the women's prison. I personally never felt like I needed to be um, worse than everyone else in AA. I did kind of feel that way. Like maybe I was worse, but I never felt like I was uh, special in the eyes of God that I needed to be separated from everyone. And um, as far as going to prison, which is like typical prison talk, like, you know, God put me, had to sit me down for a while. Right. Um, I personally never felt that way, but I, I do know that um god has done so many things for me that that i never saw coming i guess i could say yeah yeah i like that i know um i i went to a whole bunch of different churches to seek god and try to be a better person wanting to get zapped all the time you know yes. <laughs> i'm a new woman i walk out yeah my whole life is changed that's what i thought it was you know, and people in church today, they don't, they know better, but I was in some kind of a fantasy world or something, almost like, you know, just zap me, throw holy water on me. I want to be different. And for maybe an hour or two, I felt different, but then a couple hours later, I was the same old me, the same old thinking. So I think what God did for me was put me in Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. That's where I needed to change. I needed a sponsor to tell me, show up early, shut your mouth, mind your own business, uh, stop stealing post-its from work. What? She told me that was stealing. <laughs> but they owe me that. They owe me a pen and a paper clip, right? Yes. And that's what I believed and thought. And she's there, no, you're, you're stealing, you're a thief, stop it. And God did for me what I couldn't do for myself by giving me that sponsor to help me to become the new woman. Mm. I can believe that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tried to get zapped in church many, many times. I think I did get zapped, but it never lasted long. Uh-huh. Man, sometimes I would drink right after the service. I even or during the in, service. During the service, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. So since you all have both been sober a while, what ninth step promise would you say is your favorite kind of how it applies to your life today? Like, is there one that you just really relate to that you feel like, um, you know, is something that currently is your favorite? Uh, for me, it's no matter how far down the scale we have gone, we can see how our experience can benefit others. Mm -hmm. And definitely being going into the jail and being able to share all that bad stuff that I tried to hide. And I'm able to share that. And one of the most powerful for me and Wayne may remember this a long time ago, I was at a meeting and there was something I never, ever shared with anybody because only my sponsor and you get prayed up before a meeting. I'm, you know, I'm the speaker at the speaker meeting. And all of a sudden comes out of my mouth. I couldn't believe it. A very devastating experience that happened to me that I was so ashamed of. And what it was, was I have a little five-year-old and a seven-year-old little boy, two boys, and I'm an alcoholic mother, not realizing that I am. Never wanted to drink when I had them. 
But of course, the progression, I start drinking and drinking and drinking, even the days that I have custody. And I put them to bed and I'm drinking and I ran out of alcohol. And I thought, oh, just I looked in the fridge and I thought, okay, they're both sound asleep. I'm a block from the bar, right? I can just walk to the bar. I'll get a six pack. On my way to the bar, I get a six pack. Well, you know what it's like. Jukebox is playing. People are screaming, yelling, yay, Eminem. Eminem's in the house. Yes. And you know how that is, right? You can't oh, yeah. disappoint your friends. Feel okay, like a rock I'll star. I'll have a drink. I'll have a shot. Let's have another shot. Oh, I got some gossip. Let me tell you the scoop. And before you know it, my seven-year-old wakes up, couldn't find me. I'm still in the bar. Remember, I was going to get a six-pack. I have no idea how long I was there. Well, he gets up. He couldn't find me. Seven years old, he knows where his mother is. He walks to the bar. And he's pulling on my arm. And I, I think I was almost passed out at the bar. And he's pulling on me, pulling on me, crying, mommy, mommy, come home. Wow. I never wanted to tell anybody that. My sponsor knew that. I was ashamed and embarrassed. And as I'm speaking behind the podium at this meeting, all of a sudden it comes out of my mouth. And I'm like, <gasps> and you can't take it back. I'm like, oh, my gosh, how come this is coming out, right? Well, apparently God wanted me to share it. And you know, I always include that in my talk now because I had people come up to yeah. me and they felt the same way. They've had the same shame. We don't want to be bad parents. No. Yeah, so. yeah, that stuff needs to be shared so people can identify with it. Lots of, there's probably lots of moms that have done that or something similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. How about you, Jay Wayne? I I thought I thought I thought Eminem was going to talk about when she was lying about her sobriety date. I did too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry to call you out, but that's, that's okay. Hey, I lived that it, life for ten months. <laughs> <laughs> oh my yeah, goodness! Yeah, that was another one. Yeah, I've got a lot of them. <laughs> you, you do. I'm not that you, woman anymore, though. I'm no. honestly, I am really changed. <laughs> <laughs> you have changed. I, I like, um, what for some reason today, the one that jumped out at me is we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. Mm. So, I mean, I, I mean, prior to getting sober, I mean, my life was just very dark and I mean, I was depressed and and full of anxiety, but I didn't even know that's what it was. I wish I'd have gone and gotten diagnosed so I could have gotten some, some high powered medications for it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just dealt with it with drinking and a little burger sugar. Um, but yeah, I was, um, I was like Eeyore, you know, prior to getting sober, I was just, just depressed and full of like just doubt and about life and thought that everybody was out to get me and thought that, you know, I had been given a bad hand. And, you know, one of the things that, that the program has done for me is it has truly helped me to be free and it's truly helped me to be uh, happy, even, you know, even with just life coming at you and circumstances, you know, changing all the time, um, the, the principles of the steps and, and the power of God have helped me to just kind of ride through all that without getting too attached and 
um, you know, too bent out of shape about anything, just kind of roll with it. So I, um, yeah, that's one of the things I'm grateful for just being happy and free. Well, y'all stole my number one and number two answers. So I will go to my third answer, <laughs> which is our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. It's a good and, one. You know, maybe that was God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself and y'all taking my my first and second choice that this really right. should be my first choice. Um, but I can I, I know today that my attitude and outlook upon life has changed because when things happen uh, to me or in my family, in my general vicinity, I don't get bent out of shape and I don't go around telling everyone like you will not believe the crazy thing that happened like oh my god I cannot believe this family member is still this way and that way and whatever it may be there are people that I talk to about it but it's generally people who understand maybe they have a chaotic redneck out there family and so <laughs> they understand it in a way where it's just like hey these are just the facts of what what happened and it's kind of funny and, you know, there may be a whole trash bag full of hash that you find <laughs> and like, it's okay. Like this is not cause for concern. This is just like something that happened. And it's, you know, because I don't want that pity any longer. And there was a time during my drinking where I really wanted people to be like, oh my God, that's so horrible. Are you okay? What's going on? Oh my God, can we help? Um, even though I didn't feel any specific way about it then either. So I just really mm -hmm. liked the attention, I think. So now... Um, I know my attitude and outlook upon life has changed because, you know, I, I don't have those self-seeking, attention-seeking, whatever you want to call it, motives for everything that I do or say. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like that. I, I played the pity party in the bar, you know, say I got dumped or something. And I'd be, oh, my God, have a drink with me. You'll never believe what he did to me. Mm -hmm. They pity me. Yeah, I'll buy you a shot. I'll give you more Love information. Yeah. So I get this pity. <laughs> <laughs> I drag them all in my pity pot. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, one thing's for sure. The number one thing God has done for us that we can't do for ourselves is remove the obsession to drink. Yes, it is. And I think that's probably... The, the main reference to this particular promise is probably in reference to that. Mm -hmm. So if you, if the obsession to, to drink has been removed and you've been sober, that's definitely a God doing for you, what you can't do for yourself. And the Absolutely. neatest thing is, is you don't know when it happened. You, you just keep doing that action, doing the next thing, show up at the meeting, call my sponsor, help another woman. Right. And I don't even know when it went away. Mm -hmm. It yep. just went away. I can't pinpoint a time. It slipped away. Yeah, it did. But if I stop doing That's... what I'm doing, it could come back. It will come uh -huh. back for sure. Yeah. That's for sure. I yep. believe that. Yeah. Yep. Shank, let's move on to Battle of the Books. Let's get ready to rumble! All right. We have... Step 12, round 12 with Eminem here. All right, Eminem. <laughs> so far. T tighten your gloves up. So far, the 
uh readings from the big book of alcoholics anonymous total shutout so we'll see what happens in step 12 round 12 here we have uh big book of alcoholics anonymous page 89 says practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics it works when other activities fail this is our 12th suggestion carry this message to other alcoholics you can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. Okay. All right. And then for the 12 by 12, page 106, we have the joy of living is the theme of AA's 12th step and action is its keyword. Here we turn outward toward our fellow alcoholics who are still in distress. Here we experience the kind of giving that asks no rewards. Here we begin to practice all 12 steps of the program in our daily lives so that we and those about us may find emotional sobriety. When the 12th step is seen in its full implication, it is really talking about the kind of love that has no price tag on it. <laughs> what you think, oh. Eminem? Oh, man. I love both. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I love both books. I really mm -hmm. do because both books have served me extremely well. And, you know, they both talk about action and they're written by our founders. And I trust and believe everything our founders tell us. And it is a joy of living. Action is the key word. And in the big book, it says it works when other activities fail. It's all about carrying the message and helping the newcomer uh yeah i like both jay wayne comments well the um the 12 the well let's go big book first so the big book reading is i mean it's the essence of step 12. it i've always liked the the, the comment that the best insurance against taking a drink is working with another person. Mm -hmm. It even references it in Bill Wilson's story that he was full of, you know, self-pity and depression for the first two years. And when other activities fail, he found that work with another alcoholic would save the day. What I always say to that is, well, you shouldn't try other activities. Just try to help somebody. Um, but it, it, you know, it doesn't look like that's actually the solution. But my own experience is, is that when I get out of myself, regardless of what my problems appear to be, I tend to, to get better and I tend to, to either forget about it or you know, a lot of times things take care of themselves. So I like the big book reading because it's simple and it tells me the solution to staying sober. Um, the 12 by 12, I, I actually like the reading The the, I mean, I think he, he talks about action being the, the key word and, you know, giving, give without receiving, right? I mean, that's, that's the essence of what we're supposed to do. I like the word love. The thing that I don't, that I, it's just a personal thing. I, I've never liked the term emotional sobriety. I, I just, I mean, I know people love it. 
and you can have a workshop on the 12th step and three people will show up. If you call a workshop emotional sobriety, you'll have a hundred people show up and yeah, just stating facts. Most of it's all those people from the clubhouse or the women from the women's meetings. They just love coming to those emotional sobriety meetings. It's just a fact. I'm not, I, I mean, it's, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I personally like emotional maturity. Yeah. Which is what the earlier pamphlets were called until he wrote, I don't know when he wrote it, Shank, you probably do, but the emotional sobriety thing in the grapevine, I'm getting off track. It was um, 1958. 58? Yep. Yeah, well, so they're both good readings. Mm -hmm. um, I just, the, the 12 by 12 one, I don't know about the emotional sobriety. He even kind of implies that our, that we're responsible for other people's emotional sobriety, which I don't understand that reference. That's probably what I have the hardest time with, is it does seem like it's implied to me. We, we had this in another we did. reading also yeah i don't remember which one but where it implied Fourth that step. Like, i'm responsible for other people's emotions oh, it, was, it was the ninth step yes yeah. and i just i have a lot of trouble with that because um if that really were the case like we are screwed <laughs> 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 like i'm so sorry uh it's not going to be good. Um, I, I just, I really, really enjoy the, the big book reading. I found a lot of, I found a lot of hope in this. You know, when I read this, I had been sponsoring women before I got to the 12th step, which I know for some, for some people that's like sacrilege, but that was what I told, that I was told to do and I was doing it and I was staying sober. And, um, you know, I found so much hope in the fact that this tells me like, hey, you don't have to be going to seven meetings a week because I wasn't able to. You don't have to be talking to your sponsor every day on the phone at 9 a.m. You don't have to be sending your gratitude list. Like, you know, what will ensure immunity from drinking is intensive work with other alcoholics. And I was able to do that. Yeah. Now, I was trying to get a bunch of people sober who either didn't need to get sober or didn't want to, <laughs> but you know, after a while I kind of learned how to work that out and how to help people that wanted help instead of trying to bash everyone over the head with a big book. Um, you know, it was just like, I found so much hope in this where it's like, Hey, do this. You don't have to drink. You don't have to pay $10 for a cigarette either. <laughs> and moving forward. Yep. Yeah, my personal sponsorship style is we take the newcomer through the big book first, always. Mm -hmm. And then later on, I'll take them through the 12 and 12. You know, because yeah. I like the 12 and 12 too. Our home group uses the 12 and 12. We study twice out of the big book through the week and then once out of the 12 and 12, whatever month it is for the steps. So, yep. but they're different, but you got to remember Bill was 17 years sober. So his thinking was different. Was not clear. <laughs> so I, I want, yeah. I wonder if this is the first time the term emotional sobriety shows up in our literature. 
That's a great question. Um, I probably could have thought of that before this and researched it, but I did not. Yeah. I don't know. Either you're sober or you're not, I would think, but I, I understand what he's getting at. Mm-hmm. All right. Are you all ready to vote? What do you think, Pam? Which reading would you like to keep for the 12th step? If I had to pick one reading, mm -hmm. I like books so much. The big book. Yes! All right, Jerry. Oh, I'm going big book, Shank. All right, I'm going big book as well. So we, 12 rounds. 12 wins for the big book. The, the big book took the 12 by 12 down. Took it down. Yep. <laughs> yep. It sure All did. Right. Pam, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience with us. Okay. Well, it was an honor to be asked. This was fun. <laughs> you yeah, guys crazy. This, you really you make it fun you know and exciting to talk about i love talking about alcoholics and illness, you know it saved my life yeah. yes yeah. but uh yeah. it was a fun way to do it and hopefully yeah. to help other people through this well, you know, well that's else. right so yeah that's right it's not gloom and doom anybody out there it really isn't we have fun <laughs> we do have fun <laughs> we sure do hey if you're out there listening Take the 12 steps and you can be free and uh, keep listening for more of Pam's story. And my sobriety date is July 1st, 2000. And I am a member of the primary purpose group in Wilson. And we meet, I'll just tell you our little schedule. We meet on Monday and Thursday at Raleigh Road Baptist Church from seven to eight o'clock. We are a three legacy home group. So we study out of the big book, we study a tradition, uh, we study a step once a month, whatever month it is, and we also do a history meeting on Mondays, and then every Thursday we have an open speaker meeting. And we also have a babysitter, so all the moms and dads can bring their kids. And I love my home group, and I'm so glad to be part of it. My sponsor's here, my sponsees are here, my grand sponsor. And no pressure. <laughs> don't mess up. Okay? Yeah, don't mess up. Especially after that introduction from Susie. I know her a long time. I know a lot of people here. And it's so good to be back again, you know, just back amongst each other. I need to be around people. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous has saved my life. And I want to thank, here he comes down the aisle, here he comes, the Friday night speaker. <laughs> So I really want to thank you, Rito, very much. And you talked about God. Uh, you talked about the spirituality of the program. And that's what it is for me. You know, God changed my life. And I'm going to quote my sponsor. She always says uh, when she gets up to the podium, she's not the same woman she was when she came in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not either. I'm totally a different woman. And that is not of my power at all. That's God. But I had to take the action, you know. I used to, oh my gosh, anybody see the uh, show Bewitched? You know, you snap your fingers. 
I go to all these churches to want to change because I knew. I didn't know I was an alcoholic, but I knew something. You know, I need, I need to change. And I would try all these different religions and even have holy water thrown on me, everything. <laughs> you name it, hands laid on, tongues laid, you know, <laughs> all this stuff, right? And said not, you know. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but I would... When, when that was happening, you know, uh, it was like, okay, this is good. I'm a new woman. Then I would leave church, but I would do the same thing. Maybe not that day or the next day, but before the week was up, I'd be drunk again. And I'd be conniving and manipulating and deceiving people and lying and cheating, whatever I was doing. And I didn't know how to change. You know, so, and I know people can go to church and learn how to change. I can pray and pray and pray and ask God to change me. But what I've learned in Alcoholics Anonymous, it's action. It's all about action. And the freedom from bondage is all about action. And that's what I've heard from the first panel, the second panel, awesome. You know, put into action what we know, give back what's been given to us, help somebody else. Steve Mitchell always says, don't drink and help another person. I love that. I say it all the time. But I also add on to that and keep a connection with God. And Kelly mentioned that when you were talking. You know, if I don't do my morning meditation, I'm no good. If I start leaving God out, and I'm not perfect. I try to do, even if it's a little reading, I'll even tell my sponsees, if you don't have an hour or 30 minutes, don't worry about it. Give God five minutes. Whatever you have, give him something. Invite him in, you know. And if I don't do that, and I'm off and running in the morning, it's all about me. You know, and I'm doing what I want to do, and I want to do, and it's never God's plan. It's what do I want to buy? How do I look? Who's looking at me? <laughs> you know, all this stuff. Am I thin enough? <laughs> Am I pretty enough? You know, but that goes way back, and I'll tell you a little something, because what I'm here to do is to tell you what I was like, what happened and what I'm like today. And also to let you know about the corrections. Uh, that's a big part of my life because of sponsorship. And uh, I was born and raised in Pennsylvania. And what I was like before I drank was I'm, not, I'm chubby. I'm not really smart in school. I'm not as pretty as my sister. None of the guys like me. They're all after my sister. Uh, I don't have any friends because if you tell me a secret, I can't wait to tell her. You're not even out of the room. I'm telling her because I want to be popular and I want to have all this news. <laughs> the more news you have, the more popular you are. Well, you lose a lot of friends that way. And this was before I drank. So <laughs> it was always all about me. Uh, I come from a big Polish family, one of five children, and my grandfather owns a bar, he owned a bar, it was called Val's Bar. And before I could even walk or talk, you know, I was born and raised in a bar, basically. And everybody in my family drinks, except my mom and my aunt. And I thought everybody in the world drank. I thought everybody drank, everybody smoked, and everybody cursed. Because, you know, that's how I grew up, this is what I heard. I didn't know that, you know, I thought that was the norm. And my, my mom and my aunt were the only two who didn't. So I grew up in a lot of chaos. Uh, I have seen, you know, we're a big family, and not only the seven of us, but Uncle Joe was always over. Uh, Aunt Lori, 
Cousin Ronnie, Cousin Eddie, every, all the neighborhood kids, because the cops were always there. Something was always going on, so the neighborhood wanted to get in on it. What's going on with this family? <laughs> and uh, I could remember uh, Uncle Joe, he, I'll tell you a little bit about him. He has a pin in his knee, so he couldn't bend his knee, so he had like a straight leg. And we loved to drink. Vlovich's always had parties. We didn't just drink weddings or funerals or holidays. We drank all the time, especially Friday through the whole weekend. If we'd go camping, we'd go drinking wherever. Everybody was drinking. And in Pennsylvania, there's a lot of hills and mountains. So we're all outside by this campfire drinking, and all of a sudden we look over, and we see something rolling down the hill. It was like a stick. What is that? And everybody, oh my God, Uncle Joe. <laughs> we, gra we grab a hold of him. We set him down in the chair. And he's drunk, right? So what do we do? We give him another beer. <laughs> we put him by the fire. Stay there, Uncle Joe. So we're doing drinking, having fun. All of a sudden, we look over. Something's on fire. <laughs> Uncle Joe. <laughs> he's so drunk, he fell in the fire. So we're patting them off, you know, we move them away from the fire, give them another beer, because that's what we do. But there was always chaos. There was one time, and the cops were always at our house or wherever we were, and we're at a campsite one time, and everybody's drinking, and all of a sudden the cops come, and I go, how do they find us at the campsite? We're not even at home. Well, Uncle Joe and his girlfriend got in a big fight, you know, rah, 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 drinking, cursing. He threw out of the camper. I think she broke her ankle. It was not good. It was really bad. And, of course, the cops show up. But that's what, that was normal to me. All this stuff is normal. Some bad parts of it, uh, and I love my dad. My dad had passed away, and, but I always want to include this because uh, this is what I saw growing up. My dad was the type you never knew how he was going to come home. He loved to drink. He drank all the time. My mother was an enabler. She cleaned everything up, hide everything, never really talk about it, and she just cleaned the mess up. Well, he beat her so bad one night, she spent three days in the hospital. You know, sometimes he was a happy drunk, sometimes he was a mean drunk, and we would never know. And then I remember me and my sister, and we basically watched it. We were very young. And uh, for those three days, my grandmother was over, and my grandfathers were drunks, too, and they were just as violent. And there was a lot of violence in the family. And I, nobody was allowed to talk about it. We weren't allowed to ask where mom was. You know, she'd be back soon. Don't say anything. Don't talk about it. So, you know, I would try to push a lot of the bad stuff away and look at the good stuff, you know, all the fun that we had. Uh, I was 14 years old when I had my first drink, and I couldn't wait to drink because, to me, it was exciting. You know, everybody's drinking. Uh, this guy got us, oh, my God, a bottle of blackberry brandy. I don't know why he picked that. I know, probably all we could afford. But he guess it's a gallon. So, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> We hide it in the woods, go to school, I'm all excited, and all I could do is think about it. I can't wait to get out of school, I've got to quick do my homework. I hope a hunter doesn't find it, because they're always <laughs> snooping in the woods, you know? I hope we hit it good enough. So anyway, we go in the woods, we had two cups with us, we didn't have ice or anything, and we started drinking. And what happened, this has been my experience, was I lost 20 pounds, I got really thin, pretty. Wow, I was very pretty, smart, popular, 
all the fear I had about myself went away. And the more I drank, the better I felt. I love the feeling of alcohol. I love how it made me feel. Now, my cousin Ronnie, he had his own issues. And all I kept, he kept flexing something. <laughs> and he's there, oh, I'm strong. I got all these muscles. And I'm there, you are strong. Let's toast to those muscles. <laughs> Let's toast to my beauty. <laughs> Let's toast to my next boyfriend. I'm going to get a better looking boyfriend than my sister. Let's have another toast, you know. And I was always jealous of her. And I can remember I would cry sometimes and sit in my bed and cry. And I'd say, God, I'm so mad. You gave her a pretty thin, smart body. And I get this chubby. I come home with C's, D's, you know, not really good grades and not popular, and you gave her everything, and you gave me this other body. It's not fair, God. It's your fault, you know. Come to find out, right, later on, was I never exercised. She did. <laughs> I loved two bowls of cereal, extra potatoes, you know, extra bacon, whatever, double everything. I loved to eat. She always watched what she ate. She'd bring books home and study. That's why she got A's. <laughs> I did. I hated school. I, and as soon as I knew there was a test, I'd be like, oh my God, I can't. Oh, even today, I'm like, oh, don't test me. <laughs> I'll have a nervous breakdown. But anyway, so what alcohol did was, I didn't really, wasn't jealous of her anymore because I'm so pretty now. I'm so smart now. I love it. I love it. I love it. I couldn't wait to drink again. I was a blackout drinker because I don't remember how I got home. And the next morning I woke up, and back then there was no Velcro but I was stuck to the pillow. And I thought, you know, what is this, right? Throw up. <laughs> I slept in my vomit. So I didn't really get in trouble. My mom said, just wash the sheets, you know. So I couldn't wait to drink. I drank when I could. I was a blackout drinker. And you talked about being black. That's terrible, isn't it? You don't remember anything. You do not remember. And I was a blackout drinker. I never knew when I was going to blackout. What it took to black out, I have no idea. But all I knew was Uncle Joe never remembered anything either. So that must be pretty normal, <laughs> you know, because he couldn't remember anything. So, uh, but I continued to drink, had a good time. I eventually met my first husband at a red light. I was drunk. <laughs> I wasn't driving. Uh, and we ended up getting married. Well, before that, let me go back and tell you a little bit of the tragedies of my family with alcohol. But there wasn't enough power in these tragedies to keep me or any of my family sober. My sister, when she just turned 19, because she was 18, it was two days later, she went to a party, and 4 o'clock in the morning, she left the party drunk. She was driving, just dropped her friend off, kept going, hit a tree head on, and she died. So alcohol killed her. All I remember at the funeral, you know, the family's there, everybody's drinking. It was unbelievable. And you know what we did? I blame God. You know, I, you took my sister away. How dare you do this to me? And my family blamed the guy who had the party. So they were trying to sue him. Nobody blamed the alcohol. You know, if they did, I didn't hear it. Nobody talked about it. In fact, even though alcohol killed her, we're there at her funeral, the wake, you know, that whole week. We're drunk. Just drunk, drunk, drunk. I have three brothers. My uh, older, well, they're all younger than me, but Johnny, he ended up doing 
time in uh, prison. And I remember going, have to go to a trial, a jury. Oh my God, it was terrible. I'm not going to tell you what happened. It was like really bad. It was a terrible thing. But he ended up doing time. My, he got caught and it was terrible. But anyway, my other brother, Mark, the baby, uh, he was always drunk and he would try to have his own towing company. But he could never keep his license. You know, and my dad would try to give him more money, give him, and he'd lose his license, and he'd lose his, lose his license. He'd always end up, he didn't go to prison, but he'd go to jail. And um, he even got public drunkenness. I said, Mark, you're not even driving and you're in jail. Yeah, I'm walking down the road and those cops, they shouldn't have bothered me. I wasn't bothering anybody. Well, public drunkenness, walking down the street, just carrying on, and they threw him back in jail. So, and what happened was me and my other brother just didn't get caught. You know, that's what I have to say about that, but terrible. But my family, they were big drinkers and they loved to drink. So I'm married to this guy. He's just like my mother. He's not an alcoholic. He could drink. He can have a beer. He can cut the grass. He can have another beer. And then he can have dinner and then go to bed. I know. <laughs> I can't do that. I can have a beer. Think about cutting the grass. <laughs> have another beer. Think about hiring somebody to cut the grass. <laughs> have another beer and forget about the grass. <laughs> what grass? I don't, we don't have a yard, do we? What yard? <laughs> but, so, and that's how he was. He, doesn't, he didn't know I was an alcoholic. I didn't know I was. I caused a lot of chaos in that marriage. Uh, my alcoholism did. You know, I became like my father. I never thought I would, but I was like a civil drinker. He didn't know what, whatever, however I felt is how I acted, and then the alcohol made the feeling even stronger. So he'd come home from work, and he didn't know what he was walking into. You know, his pants, you can have lingerie on the day. Is dinner going to be made? Are the kids going to be fed? <laughs> uh, what's happening? But anyway, whatever I do, he'd try to clean up. I can remember we went to this wedding, and I'm drinking before the wedding, and I'm at the wedding, and somebody, it's somebody else's wedding, we're having a really good time, and I'm drunk. Then I walk over to the table, and I could see my husband sitting there with my cousin, and you know, she's real nice, just sitting there chatting, I love Barbie, I love my husband, blah, 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 but I'm drunk. And you know, you were talking about how we think, and our mind thinks weird stuff, and I thought they're having an affair. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it, right? This girl's wedding, I ruined the entire, I ruined her wedding because I started accusing him, hitting him at the wedding, making a, oh my God, it was absolutely terrible. And he just took me home. That might have been the night I thought he threw me out of the car. He said I jumped out of the car when it was going. <laughs> I don't remember. I was in a blackout. The next day, nobody in the family wanted to talk to me. Nobody invited me to weddings after that. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> But my imagination went crazy places, and he would just clean it up and clean it up, and he just took care of me. Uh, that marriage didn't last, and it couldn't because I didn't know how to treat somebody. I didn't know how to communicate, right? I wanted everything my way. I wanted to drink. I wanted to do what I wanted to do, and I was a terrible wife. So what happened was we ended up getting divorced, 
and I was in my 30s, and I thought, oh, yeah, now I'm going to live. Nobody's <laughs> going to tell me what to do. And I became a bartender. <laughs> Perfect job. I could do whatever I want to do. I love it. I loved bartending. I loved being out drinking. I loved... Uh, you know, just the, the ice in the glasses, the, the music, the gossip, you know, the drama. I loved all of that. That's what I loved to do. And I stayed out there, and I bartended, and I drank, and I was still a mother watching my kids and everything. And I always said, well, I won't drink when I have them because we had shared custody. I'll only drink when I don't have the kids. Well, you know, that doesn't happen, right? Because alcohol progresses and progresses. But I don't see it. So then I had a phone call from my father, and he said, we're having a meeting at the house, Pamela. You need to come over here. And I'm thinking, who's in trouble, right? You know, we have meetings, this big Polish family and Uncle Joe, Aunt Lori. Everybody's invited, you know? It's like, oh, my God, everybody knows everything, right? So somebody's in trouble. I'm thinking, I bet it's Mark. And I have something to say, because he's, you know, the youngest. Gets away with everything. I said, I have something to say about him. <laughs> I'm going to have a voice in this meeting. When I get there, here's what I hear, what I told my sponsor at my fifth step. <laughs> I started hearing stuff like that. Oh, my God, it was about me. It was about my behavior. It was about the things that I was doing in the bar. Now, I have three brothers there in the bar, so they're seeing all the stuff. Uncle Joe's seeing all the stuff, right? I've got family and you know, people talk, and some of the stuff they were telling me, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I didn't, I would never do that. How dare they? But I'm a blackout drinker. I probably did, you know. Being a blackout drinker is a hard thing. I could remember in a blackout, laying in the bed, thinking, oh, God, please. I'd hear somebody. I'd wake up thinking, I don't know how I got home. I don't know what's going on. I hear the toilet flush, and somebody's in the bathroom. Like, please, God, please let them be good looking. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm begging you. <laughs> Nights like that is not a good thing. <laughs> and then surprise, I get out of my house. <laughs> but uh, I lost a car in a blackout. I lost a car in a blackout. I was with this guy. We went to a bar, and I was a blackout drinker. And then we ended up home. And he, must, we both blacked out because he didn't remember anything. I looked outside, and my car's gone. I said somebody stole it. And they probably stole it for parts. And I'm going to call the cops. Well, we ended up, we had to go, because we were going to the Jersey Shore that weekend. So we ended up going to a bar, you know, have a couple drinks, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, let me call the cops. So I called them <laughs> at the bar, right, <laughs> in the morning. And I'm there complaining. My car is gone. You know, you need to find it, blah, blah, blah. And he's there, ma'am, you've got to come in and write up a report. I'm like, I pay taxes. You need to find my car. You know, that was it. And I said, I'm going to Jersey Shore. I have plans. So we went to the shore. So apparently I had a good time. I don't know. They said I did. <laughs> so anyway, um, I come home that Sunday, and I turn on, and that back then was answering machines, and it's beeping. And I thought, well, I wonder who called me, and it's a detective. He called me back. And he's there, yes, this is Detective So-and-so. We found your car. And I'm like, wow, okay, so he gave me the address. And I'm like, that's right next to John's bar. Uh, so I called that guy up and said, guess what? Whoever stole my car took it to the bar. <laughs> we got to go get, find out what's going on here, right? 
So we get to the bar. I look, my car is good. Everything's fine. I get in the bar. He's like, yeah, hey, Pam, how's it going? Yeah, good. Well, my car's out there. Yeah, you were here Thursday night. <laughs> I was. Oh, yeah. Want to know what you were doing? <laughs> no, I don't remember. Oh, my God. I drove the car there. I didn't remember. I don't remember. I guess we took a taxi. They went to another bar, took another taxi. I have no idea. You know, that's a shame. That, that's scary. It's sort of funny. It could be funny. But my sister died drunk in a car driving. I could have killed somebody else, killed the person I was with, killed myself. I have no idea. So being a blackout drinker is hard. So as my family's telling me all this, oh, terrible things about myself, I'm like, oh, my God. So my mother says, well, she did some research. And being the enabler, she did not want my ex-husband to take the kids from me. And she says, I did some research, and there's this Alcoholics Anonymous, and they're anonymous. They cannot tell your name. Because she didn't want my ex-husband to know, you know. And she didn't want the kids being taken. I thought, okay, well, I don't know what that is. And she said, well, your Aunt Lori's going to go with you, and she's going to make sure you go. And I'm like, I don't really want to go. And then my father, and I never really got along with him until the end, so my sponsor helped me with uh, making amends and building that relationship back before he passed. So good. Uh, but he says to me, Pamela, he always called me Pamela. Says, Pamela, here's what you need to do. Go to this class, this AA, and learn to drink like a lady. <laughs> that was a good solution. I thought I could do that. Okay, Dad, thank you. <laughs> so we go. And it was this Catholic church we walked in, and I absolutely want to include this in my story, because when I came here Friday, this weekend, everybody made me feel welcome and warm. And that's what Alcoholics Anonymous is. It shouldn't be a scary place. It shouldn't be a place that we come into where we snub each other. It should be a loving, welcoming, we're sick, we're out there dying, we need help, come into Alcoholics Anonymous. And when I walked in, me and my aunt, and back then I always wore mini skirts, real, real short skirts. They were, back, they were in back then. Uh, Four-inch heels. Um, I had long, stringy blonde hair. Too much jewelry, too much makeup, too much me. Yeah, I was a bartender. I was like, ah, out there. So anyway, I walk in, and I met these I met the old-timers. They greeted me. And Jersey Joe was there, uh, Rachel from New York, and John Kay. And you're looking at like 25 years, 19 years, 18 years. That was a lot of sobriety. And I remember Rachel said to me, she said, Blondie, if you don't take the first drink, you won't get drunk. And I thought, that's stupid. No wonder she's here 18 years. <laughs> gets drunk off the first drink. I thought, let me stay away from this woman. And I did. Well, anyway, she told me, buy a big book and a 12 and 12, and I did. So I went to like three or four meetings, and the fourth meeting, I was so mad, they'd do a lot of slogans up north, and it was one day at a time. And I didn't understand that. Now, I'm a planner. Anybody who knows me, I plan. Like Sandy said, it takes me a week to pack, sometimes a month if I know I'm going somewhere. I have to organize stuff figure things out. <laughs> so anyway, I was always a planner with my life even. If I, on a Monday, if I knew I was going to, of course, I knew I was going to drink that weekend, I would plan Friday, what am I wearing? 
what bar are we going to? Are we going to follow a band, a DJ? Who's driving? What's happening? Let me watch what I eat. Because I was always that chubby kid, and eventually I lost weight. But I still have always watched what I eat, so I had to plan all my food out so I could drink a lot. You know, <laughs> So I'm a planner. I would even, which I do not do today, I would go to uh, fortune tellers. And I didn't want to know my past. But tell me, is there a doctor? in my life? Am I going to Paris? <laughs> Will I be on the runway? I don't know. What's, I, I need to know something good. <laughs> Where's the next husband? But anyway, I was always looking into the future. I even had my tea leaves read once. Drink this tea and look at these leaves. <laughs> Where's Tony with his cup of tea? See me after. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so they're talking one day at a time, and I'm like, I don't understand. What is this? And as they're going around the room talking about it, I thought, I don't like this. I had a resentment immediately. I thought, these people are stupid. This is ridiculous. I said to my aunt, we're leaving right now. And she said, now, she's not an alcoholic, right? But she had to go with me. And she said, oh, I wish I was an alcoholic. I like this place. I like these people. I'm like, come on, we're leaving now. So I left, and I had to have a plan. Right, because my parents are going to know why, what's going on. And I remember I wrote a list down. I thought, okay, I'm going to quit drinking, and I believed I could. I am going to uh, quit bartending, because that's my problem, being a bartender. I am going to get a real job. I'm going to start working out, and I'm going to go back to church. Right, and I had this whole list, and I pre we had a meeting at the house, and I presented it to the family, and they were all excited. Yay, you know, they believed me, I believed me, that was good. Eight days later, I was drunk. Two years later, my life spiraled out of control. I mean spiraled. Um, I, drank, I was in the bars even more, even though I wasn't a bartender. I was drinking all the time. I'll tell you this one story, I almost got caught by the cops. Uh, well, I didn't get put in jail for this, but my friend did. <laughs> We're at a bar, I'm like, we're, I knew we were going to drink, and I would always drink before I'd go to the bar. You know how you get the courage and the drink up before you go? And I always wore four-inch heels. Well, for whatever reason, I grabbed flats, and if anybody doesn't know what flats are, they're shoes with teensy tiny heels, right? So I had my little mini skirt on, too much makeup, too much jewelry, you know, hair sprayed up, I was all loud and everything. We, I had a great time. We danced. I was drunk. It was great, right? So at the end of the night, we would always go to uh, breakfast, you know, have something to drink because the bars are closed. We'll go to the restaurant. And so I'm with this guy, and all of a sudden, we're driving to the restaurant. The blue lights are behind us. So the cops get out. They grab him out of the truck. They're talking. And they didn't have breathalyzers back then. But anyway, whatever they said to him, they handcuffed him. I'm like, oh, my God. And they threw him in the cruiser. And, you know, another cop car pulls up. I'm like, oh, my God. And then they come up to me. And I looked at him, I said, uh, I'll take his truck home. You know, I'll drive it home. I'm fine. They said, uh, get out of the truck, ma'am. <laughs> we don't think so. We're going to do a sobriety test. I said, okay, you know, what is that? Back then it was you have to march, you have to walk heel toe, heel toe, with your arms straight out and touch your nose, you know, all this stuff, right? I'm like, okay, I can do that. So as I started to do it, heel, toe, heel, toe, I almost fell over. I was all over the place. And I looked down, and I let out a scream. I started screaming there, what's wrong with you? I said, my heels. They took the saw, and they sawed them off. <laughs> Somebody sawed my heels off in the bar. 
I believed it. I really believed somebody would do that. They took my, they said, ma'am, get in the cruiser. <laughs> We're taking you home. <laughs> so he went to jail. I went home, and the police department had a blast for probably about a week or so with that story. <laughs> I was embarrassed. But anyway, it really got out of control. So my bottom, oh, it wasn't my bottom, but and I will tell this because I always say it from the podium. Uh, Jerry Weaver had asked me to speak at his home group. I don't know which home group, you know, way back, one of the home groups you were at. And uh, he asked me to speak behind the podium, and of course they prayed me out. And I never, there was a story that's part of my story now that I never ever would tell anybody because I was too ashamed. You know, it's not really a fifth step, ooh, evil secret, but it's, it's shameful to me. And as they prayed me up and I got behind the podium, and you know, when you get prayed up, you're nervous. I'm nervous. I don't care how much sobriety I have. I get behind here, I'm afraid, you know, what do you think of me, right? But God eventually, he'll push me out of the way, and then he starts talking and saying what needs to be heard. Well, all of a sudden, stuff comes out of my mouth. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh, but I couldn't stop talking. And then I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I said that. What are they going to think of me? And at the end of that meeting, so many people came up to me. And what it was is I didn't want to be a bad mother. I love my children. I want to be a good mom. But alcohol was more powerful than my desire to be a mother. Alcohol came before my kids. Alcohol came before my marriage. Right? It came before my children, my jobs, everything. Alcohol was the number one thing in my life. And I remember I said I wasn't going to drink when I had the kids. Well, it's a Wednesday night, you know, the progression, and um, I'm drinking. It doesn't matter if I have the kids or not. They're five and seven years old. I started drinking, put them to bed at 830 keep drinking, I'm doing pretty good, and all of a sudden I look in the refrigerator to get another beer, and there's no more. And I went, oh, no i got to have more. I won't be able to go to bed. I need more. So I looked in their room. They're both sleeping. And I thought, well, I'm just going to walk to the bar. Here's my plan. Lock the door. I'll be gone like 10 minutes, not even five minutes. Get a six-pack and come home. Well, that's not what happened. When I opened the bar door, you know what it's like? The music's blasting. The jukebox is going. People all over. Yay, Pam, how you doing? Have a shot. Well, hey, Pam, you, here's a scoop. I'm like, oh, my God. Give me a double shot. What's the scoop? You know, I got to know the news, right? And, it's, and I forgot about my kids. And here I am drinking, drinking, drinking. I don't know how long I stayed there, but my 7-year-old got up in the middle of the night. He couldn't find me. But he knew where I was. Here's the sad part. He left the house in his little pajamas. He walked to the bar. Yeah, that's really bad. I'm so drunk. I'm at the bar, and I think my head might have been down. I'm not really drunk. And all of a sudden, I, somebody's pulling on my arm. And I look down. It's my 7-year-old, and he's crying. Mommy, come home. Come home. And I looked at him, and I looked up. You know, half these people are drunk laying in the bar, whatever they're doing. But they're my friends. And I said, how dare you embarrass me in front of my friends? I took him home. I gave him a licking. That's a terrible mother. That's a terrible thing to do. But I'm glad I could share it. I didn't want to be that mother. And he loves me today. He's going to be a minister today. He's praying a lot for his mother. He's <laughs> a good boy. Thank God for my first husband, too. Uh, but anyway, so that, but that wasn't my bottom. So, 
my bottom was I woke up one day, I looked in the mirror, I didn't know who I was. You know, my kids wanted to stay with their dad most of the time. My family, now they're a bunch of drunks, right? They're worse. I, I thought they were worse than me, but they didn't <laughs> want me around. Because every time Pam's around, you need to babysit. Because you never know what she's going to do, right? So they don't want me around. I don't have any friends. I don't have any men in my life because I don't know how to treat a man. And I'm alone. And I looked in the mirror and I started to cry. And I thought, oh my God, I'm, I'm alone. I don't, what's wrong with me? And then I pulled out that book that that Rachel told me to buy the 12 and 12 in the big book. And I pulled out the 12 and 12 and I read step one. Now there was enough power in that just to read that. I don't know if I really understood it or anything, but there was enough power in that reading for me to go back to that Catholic church and want help. And I didn't even call my family. I thought, I'm just going to do this. Now, here's the neatest part. And that's why I love when the old timers stay and they still stay at their home groups. And Sandy says, make your home group no matter what. Be there. People are watching you. Suit up and show up and help the next person. Two years later, I walk back to that church. And when I open the doors, guess who's there? Rachel, John Kay. Jersey Joe. I don't know if they remembered me, but I was like, wow, they're still here. Isn't that awesome? For me, that was, there was power in that. So they said, get a sponsor, you know, do all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, 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 don't really tell me what to do. <laughs> I just don't want to drink, but don't be giving me any orders. <laughs> and, but I did get a sponsor, and the woman said to me, don't get in a relationship, because I wasn't in one. Don't move and don't quit your job. You know, don't make any big decisions. And I will take you through the steps. I will help you. She was really nice. And I'm thinking, all I heard was no relationship for one year. <laughs> Can you repeat that? <laughs> I, I know. I didn't know how to be alone. I didn't know that you could. So I'm like, uh, whatever. But anyway, <laughs> I hardly ever called her. I didn't do anything. But what I did, I didn't drink. But I played Alcoholics Anonymous like I play the bars. I went to this meeting, I went to that meeting, and whatever I wanted to do. In fact, I hated the traditions because they scared me, and I didn't know, but I just hated them. I didn't understand them. And I used to smoke back then. And I'd pull up to a meeting five minutes before the meeting, right, because I'm not coming early. I'd be out there smoking. And I'd say, what's the meeting on? Oh, tradition. Ew, tradition? I don't think so. I'm going to West Hazleton. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm going down the valley. I'm going somewhere else. I'm so cool. Get in my car and leave. I mean, that's how I was. So I walk in the valley. This is a drums meeting, and here's husband number two. <laughs> He's chairing the meeting. This guy, I thought, he must be the CEO of AA. <laughs> he had the key to the church. He was in control of the whole meeting. He was organizing everything. I thought, wow, this guy's got it all together, and he's good looking. And I just, mm, right in on him. And four months later, I didn't even have a year sober. I didn't work any steps. I didn't help anybody. I hardly never called my sponsor. But I wasn't drinking, you know. But I was this maniac person. Four months later, I called my sponsor. And I said, I quit my job. I got married, <laughs> and I'm moving to North Carolina. <laughs> she said, good luck. <laughs> God's true. Oh, God, bless us all. <laughs> 
so we get in the U-Haul, the kids, oh my God. And this guy, he's an entrepreneur, that's what he told me. He sells stuff on eBay <laughs> and has flea market things, right? I didn't know him. He didn't, he didn't have a sponsor. He didn't work the steps. He didn't do anything, but he said he was sober and he had the key to that church. He lied to me. So please, 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 I should have listened to my sponsor. Do not, if you're dating somebody, give it a year. I'm on my best behavior the first six months, right? I mean, I'm really nice. After six months, you'll really know me then. <laughs> Hang around long enough, you know, because you know, we just try to be really nice. But anyway, so I have no idea who I married. Uh, we ended up in Goldsboro. If anybody's here from Goldsboro, North Carolina, the Green Acres group. We ended up there, and I did the same thing. I got a sponsor in name only. I never called her. She offered to help me, but I never called her. Uh, I didn't drink, but I wasn't doing anything. And one day, I, I was a part-time dog groomer. So one day, I come home from uh, grooming the dogs, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And it, it's funny, because what my father did to my mother, she never knew how my dad was coming home, right? What I did to my first husband, he'd be working, I'd be drinking, drinking, drinking. He never knew when he opened the door what he was coming home to. Well, they, as they say, pay, paybacks, uh, whatever, right? I'm grooming these dogs, and I open the door, and I'm home to this man that I don't even know who he is, and he makes an announcement, and he says, oh, I just want to let you know, I'm not really an alcoholic. And I said, well, I met you in AA. He said, yeah, but I used to deal drugs. I'm like, oh my god, you're a drug dealer. I didn't do drugs. And I married a dealer. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, who are you? He said, so I'm going to start drinking again. I said, okay, you know, I guess. I don't know what to say. So he starts drinking, and it gets really bad. The kids leave. They, they called their father, and they said, we want to come back to Pennsylvania. So I come home from work one afternoon. He's drunk out of his mind. Two o'clock in the afternoon. I walk in my house. Half my living room furniture is gone either sold it on eBay or at a flea market. <laughs> yeah. And in the middle of the living room is a pool table. And then, you know those big fluorescent Budweiser, or the Budweiser light? And you had to put quarters in to play pool. And he's drunk, blasting music, shooting pool. I said, what is going on? Who are you? What is happening? He said, oh, yeah, babe, because he's all drunk, right? He said, didn't I tell you? I'm a pool shark. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, what am I going to do, right? I remember calling my mother, help me, what do I do? She said, oh my God, you must be, you're going through the change of life. <laughs> Hello, what? <laughs> Let me hang up. So anyway, um, fast forward a little, a little bit here, because i got to get to the corrections part. But anyway, uh, I ended up, what happened is I'm either going to you can't stay still for long. If you're an Alcoholics Anonymous, you're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. You're not standing still long. Well, I had made a decision that I was going to drink again because AA wasn't working for me. Now, as you heard, I wasn't helping anybody. I didn't do any service work. I never called my sponsor. I didn't work any steps. Of course it's not working. But I blamed AA just like I blamed God. I blamed you. You know, I blame everybody. So I ended up drinking. And what happened was, I'm an alcoholic. I blacked out. I threw up for three days. I blacked out. I passed out. I threw up for three days. I was so sick. I remember laying in the bed. And that next 
three days later, my husband's looking over at me drunk, and he's there, you're an alcoholic, you can't drink. And I was jealous, I was so mad that he could drink, which he really couldn't, you know, but he still was. And I thought, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And I remember sitting in the car uh, by myself in Walmart parking lot crying, you know, what am I gonna do, God help me. That little prayer, there's a lot of power in that prayer. And what I heard was not me, because it would never be anything I would think, I heard Alcoholics Anonymous. And I thought, ew, that doesn't work. And I heard it again. You know how God will have to say it two, three times sometimes, you know? And I'm like, oh my God, okay. But I am not coming back to AA and telling anybody I relapsed because I have four years. I want to come back popular, right? Because it's all about me. So I came back and I thought, it doesn't really count. Nobody's going to know. And he's drunk. He's not going to tell anybody. So. My husband, right? So anyway, I come back to AA. Sandy offers to sponsor me. And, but she said, are you willing to do what I do? If you want what I have, you have to do what I do. I thought, okay, you know, I'll do whatever you tell me. Well, she was big time into service work. She believed coming early to your home group, staying late, stay away from the men and only give your women to the, uh, phone number to the women newcomers, help another person, get active, action, action, action. And then she said to me, I don't care how you feel, it's not about how you feel, do it anyway. Don't miss a home group, do what you want, you know. And um, she got me involved in prison work. Well, Sarah, a lot of you know Sarah Ann, she was taking a meeting out to the Mary Francis Center. And she got me involved in that. And I remember being scared, thinking, well, I was never in prison. And, you know, I'm scared. What if, you know, I don't know what these women are going to do to me or anything, right? Because <laughs> yeah, it's all about me, right? And she said, Pam, we're, you go in and you take a message that you learn in Alcoholics Anonymous, and you bring the message, the solution of Alcoholics Anonymous into the facility. And we did that on Sunday night. So I started doing that for a while. And what happened eventually was I ended up taking speaking in Raleigh. And Sarah picked me up. And she wouldn't lie for me because she picked me up with a van filled with men. And I said to her, Sarah, do me a favor. It's all women in this vehicle is what you're going to tell my husband. She said, I will not lie for you. I'm like, you need to. This is a good lie. <laughs> she said, oh, no, I won't. And I said, she said, talk to your sponsor. I said, well, I'm going to tell my sponsor this, right? So I was all mad. I got behind the podium. Never get behind the podium with the resentment. <laughs> it was terrible. The only thing going through my head was me, 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 me. How dare her, right? I'm not giving anybody hope. It was the worst talk I ever gave. I remember marching up to Sandy saying, Sarah won't lie for me, blah, blah, blah. And Sandy said to me, Pam, if you want to get close to God, if you want God to dwell in you, and that's what I wanted more than anything. I wanted that relationship with God. She said, you have to get honest. I was like, oh, wow, okay. So anyway, I got honest with him and told him the truth. We fought. It was good. You know, I didn't die from the fight. I'm laying in bed. Well, God's not done with me. He wakes me up. You know, when God's talking to you, he wakes you up. And he said, what about you lied to your home group? You drank. I'm like, oh my God, no. What? I don't want to tell. It was only one day. I don't want to tell anybody. And it was almost like a volcano, or like you want to throw up. And it was there, it was there, and it was like, oh my God, okay. But what will everybody think about me? I'll get kicked out of my home group. 
<laughs> They'll take the key. I eventually had the key. It was a secretary. You know, I was part of this. I was going to prisons. I was doing the deal. And I had to get honest with my sponsor. It was the best thing I ever did. It changed my whole life. After I told her, she got the big book out and she said, quoted from the big book. She was all excited. She said, oh, I'm so excited. Your life's going to change. I'm like, oh, my God, okay. I'm getting off pretty easy then if you're excited, <laughs> right? <laughs> She's going through the book, and she reads about cleaning up your side of the street. And I said, well, I don't know what that means. She said, step nine. I said, yes, I'm not there. Why? <laughs> she said, yes, you are. She said, here's a pen and paper. Uh, where did you speak? Five places. I had to write them all down. I said, what about these? five home groups, you know, groups, and she said, well, we are going to go there and you're going to make an amend to all these. I'm like, oh my God, no, no, no. Step nine is one-on-one, -on -one, right? <laughs> Not Pam and five groups. <laughs> are you out of your mind? <gasps> Best thing that ever happened. Best thing I ever did. My home group was the hardest. I cried, but they loved me. I mean, it was really good. I went to all these other uh, groups, and she went with me, and I did it. Then what happened as a result of that, my sobriety really started to grow. Because you've got to get honest. So now I could be really honest. I, could be on I couldn't be honest with her if I can't be honest with myself. I had to get honest with myself and say, I'm a liar, right? I did this. Now I can get honest with her and tell her, I'm a liar. This is what I did. Then show me how to clean it up. And that's what she tells me. So I was so involved in uh, Mary Frances Center. I absolutely loved it. And oh, I got to tell this little story. Hoochie Mama, right? I love that sound. Oh, wait, where's Paige? Okay. Him and Peter, Peter W., they had called me up. And I know now, I don't know how much sobriety I have, but I know how to dress and act in AA. So anyway, they called me up. They said, well, you, I think it was Nash Corrections Prison. It was a men's prison. And they said, we want you to speak. And I'm like, okay. They told me the day, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, I was working somewhere where you had to dress up. And I was dressed, and I had no time. And I know, you know, you don't look like a hoochie mama going into a men's prison. I didn't think I did. <laughs> I didn't have a mini skirt on, right? The skirt was nice. But apparently, you know, the top was a little low. But it, I didn't think it was that low. So anyway, and I had a little, uh, one of those little shrugs on too with it, real cute. I thought I looked nice. So I get there and, you know, Peter and uh, Paige are like looking at me, well, I don't know what they're saying, but they're okay, we'll bring her in. I'm thinking, what's wrong with them? So this woman guard comes up to me, a pin, we got to get a pin. I'm like, what's going on? Oh, you can't go in like that. I'm like, what? We got to cover you up, woman. I'm like, oh my God. What? what? This is terrible, right? But I did it. I was a hoochie mama then. <laughs> she took a pin. She pinned me up. I did my talk. I was a nervous wreck just thinking, oh, my God, this is a men's prison. I didn't think it was that low, and they're going to call my sponsor, and I'm in trouble. <sighs> Apparently, it went pretty good. Uh, they took me out for dinner. They laughed. They made fun of me the whole time. You and Peter, it was terrible. I could hardly eat. We were calling Sandy. Let's call Sandy. I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, Steve might even have heard about it and been involved in it. I'm like, oh, no. Well, after that, I said, OK. Going forward, I'm only wearing slacks and turtlenecks. <laughs> That's it. But anyway, you want to dress appropriately. 
you know, and I was not thinking, so. But the Mary Frances Center, I want to tell you this, before, um, oh gosh, before they closed, I loved the Mary Frances Center. We would go every Sunday. Uh, me and Sarah would go, then I would take Madeline with me. I'd drag my sponsees and make them go. And it was a 45-minute drive there and a 45-minute back, and it was every Sunday. And I used to work every other weekend, so I worked Sundays, too. There would be days I'd come home from work after working, and it's raining. And it's like, oh, i got to go carry the message, 45 minutes, drive in the rain. I didn't want to see. I'm going by how I feel. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. And I listen, I could hear my sponsor. It's not about how you feel. It's about doing the right thing. It's about helping somebody else. So we would carry message out every week. And the women would come to the meeting, which was one hour. They loved it so much, they wanted a book study after. You're talking about sponsorship. Some of the panelists said, bring that sponsorship in. Some of them wanted me to sponsor them, and they wanted us to take them through the big book. It was like a handful that really wanted it. So we'd stay another hour. I'd read half, half an hour and go through the book and explain it, the big book, and then Madeline would do the other half hour. And we did that on Sundays, and that was powerful. That was very powerful. And all my life, even as a little girl, I never knew what I wanted to be. I knew I wanted money. You know, I wanted the man to have the money <laughs> so I could spend it and buy stuff. And that's, you know, that's a crazy dream, isn't it? <laughs> Marry that doctor or something, right? But I never knew what my purpose was. You know, some people grow up, I want to be a doctor or a fireman or a nurse or a teacher. I was not like that, you know. Then when I started drinking, all I wanted to do was drink. So even when I got sober, so before I drank, then when I drank, and then when I got sober, I still didn't know what my purpose was. Always wondering, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? Well, one day, one Sunday night, I'm behind the podium. It was after the meeting. We're doing the book study. I'm standing up there, and I'm reading it. And God spoke to me that moment. And I never questioned him about my purpose ever again after that. In my heart, he said to me, this is your purpose. And I looked around, you know, maybe eight, ten women, uh, giving them hope. And in return, they were feeding me. They got me back in the book. I'm sober. I'm trying to help somebody else be sober. You know, even though if someone would relapse or something would happen, Sandy would say, you don't have control of that, because I'd call her up, she relapsed again. This isn't, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> she says, it's not about you. I'm like, well, I thought it was, <laughs> right? She still has to settle me down sometimes. She said, no, no, you, don't have, you can't get somebody drunk, and you can't keep them sober. All you're doing, and somebody mentioned it here, maybe more than once, we are planting a seed, you know, and then God makes it grow, and we get to watch it. We get to watch it. Now, all the, the women that I sponsor, um, I get to watch them bloom. If anybody was here for the first panel this morning, it was Kelly, Kelly's first time as a panelist. Wow, she's blooming. And I get to see that because she keeps staying and showing up and doing the right thing. She didn't want to. You should have seen her before. <laughs> you know, what if she was ready to say, where's the holy water? Let's get the lay the hands out or something here. Sandy, help me. Steve, help me. We got to help her. <laughs> but she did great. She did just absolutely and that's is something that we're, we're I'm allowed to say that God has given me now if I decide I don't feel like I'm an AA anymore 
I'm not really going to do service work anymore. I have a life, you know, I got things going on. I don't, I'm not going to call my sponsor all the time anymore. I'm sick of it. I don't feel like doing it. Then guess what? The old thinking will come back because that Pam is waiting. Ooh, and she's scary. And God always reminds me of her when he gets me behind the podium. I don't want to be her again. I don't want to be her again. My kids love me today. I have friends. They tell me fifth steps. People couldn't tell me one secret I would tell somebody else. Now a woman trusts me with the fifth step, and I keep it. But the neat thing is God will make me forget it anyway. <laughs> Isn't he awesome? I'm just an instrument. It's not my business anyway. I'm just an instrument there because we invite God in, you know, and it's all about that person, God, and I'm just that instrument. So I love Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, my relationship with God, this is a spiritual program. My relationship with God is more powerful than it's ever, ever been. It's not about saying the rosaries or the novena or going to church every Sunday or whatever a man's ritual is, which I'm not putting any of that down. I've been there. I was even a Jehovah Witness for three days. <laughs> I tried everything. <laughs> I think they kicked me out. My, my skirts were too short. <laughs> but... The relationship that I have with God today has been the most powerful relationship because of Alcoholics Anonymous. I hear God in you. I see God at my home group. I see God in a newcomer. I see God when I'm one-on-one -on, -one on the table going through the big book, working, a woman, working with the woman and going through the steps. That's where I see God. If I stop doing that, my purpose is to keep serving others no matter how I feel. Anyway, thank you again for having me. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment, suggestion, or just need help, you can email Shank and Wayne at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Remember, we're recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do we get paid. Join us next week for another great episode.